we are getting underway. We are um, heading into our first conversation and our guests are Alice Sidhu and Damien Zara. That's good. Alice Sidhu, I'm going to read out your little blurb here, just so everyone's across uh, who Alice Sidhu is. Alice is a director of health startup uh, LiveLab, an associate with MBS focusing on digital and uh, far too many things to mention here. We're on a time frame, Alice. <laughs> um, she's passionate about the potential of technology and the digital opportunity to solve big problems and make transformation a real thing and not just a corporate buzzword. Hats off. <laughs> <laughs> and Damien is the general manager of HR at Bunnings. Damien is a self-described student of organisational culture, teams, leadership and the well-being of people in the future of work. Hashtag future of work, hashtag present of work. <laughs> and uh, as always, I don't know if we've really introduced him, uh, it's Colin Beattie. Yep. Just yeah. driving the ship. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Humbled. Thank you. Take it away, you guys. Yeah. And their topic, what they will be discussing, is what does it take to lead with real empathy and humanity? Take it away, Cole and team. Thank you. Oh, well, just before we get right into it, thank you so much. A couple of you know I had my moment of anxiety today around, like, hosting a party and no one's going to show. So <laughs> I'm thrilled that everyone's here. Uh, just one other thing that may not always make quite sense, the fact that, say, even... Damien's kind of got your back to you. We actually do this very deliberately. It's a conversation and what we've dis discovered along the way is that too many times we are presenting to an audience or we're presenting to a camera and one of the delightful things about podcasting is in a moment I stop looking at you and I start looking at each other and we kind of engage. Uh, the final thing to say is it is totally improvised, other than the two people do know the topic. Um, but in terms of where we go and <laughs> do we? Actually, Alice, <laughs> leadership, leadership with empathy, just, just for clarity. We, um, I can really so, get my mic working here. That's right. <laughs> so in terms, of, uh, in terms of it being improvised, we hope it's of incredible value for you. But no matter where we are, in about 15 minutes we'll be done. So, um, so thanks, everyone. Uh, Damien, you've been a guest on Leadership of Fools before. I have, and it's uh, and thank you for having me back again. It's uh, it's a privilege to come back and and have a conversation. So I'm really pumped about that. Well, this is very different because we were in a closed room last time. Yeah, we were. There was no one else there. It was just us having a conversation. So uh, no, great to be back and uh, talking about um, some really important topics. Yep, yep. And I'm going to get to leadership in a moment. Just in terms of you, Alice, do you? Have any idea what number this would be for you in terms of episodes? Um, I don't know, but I can say I've done a live one before, but this is different because the last live one I did was on a big stage, so I couldn't see anyone, so this is very personal. Oh, that's right. So it, was, it was about, about 500 like people. Human connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is very close and yeah. personal. So let's, let's get into the topic. Um, one of the things I'm quite struck by is the two of you look at this topic potentially from a different perspective. Bunnings employs about how many people, uh, Damien? Just over 45,000 people, yeah. yeah. And congratulations to Bunnings recently, um, what was it, the most respected brand? Trusted brand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. trusted brand. Um, so and I should say that I've, I'm only a recent entrant into Bunnings, so I've been there for just over five months, so um, I can't lay claim to have had a significant impact on, you know, the trust piece, but, um, you know, happy to share stories and the journey. But, yeah, we have quite a few people in leadership roles uh, at a store and operational level um, and then in, uh, in in a support level too. Yeah. And just if I put a slightly different angle, like all of your world at the moment, particularly Alice, is based on the world of digital, world of technology. So you kind of go from 
something like perhaps in an Australian culture a sense of the grounded going to Bunnings on the weekend to how do we lead uh, in a digital way. So um, Yeah, and you can't, you know, we all know this but somehow we still get it wrong organisationally. Digital is not about the tech. <laughs> the tech is the enablement. Um, it's really about the leadership components and then the processes and the business models. But at the centre of it, I really like this topic um, because at the centre of it is customer or, and human-centred experience. And customer can mean um, your external stakeholders and your shareholders, and it also means um, your employees as well. Yep. Yep. So it's a really different paradigm shift, and a lot of organisations are, are trying to get it or think they have, but, but they don't. I think the reality is that they don't. Yep. Um, congratulations, by the way, given um, you can't talk about empathy, <laughs> sorry, um, empathy and um, humanity without talking about trust mm. and leadership trust because we're seeing so much around leadership failure at the moment. Um, WeWork, Facebook, Google, um, Uber, I'm reading the Uber book. It's all about trust, so congratulations. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those I guess, privileged positions but one that you just can never take for granted, really. Um, one that you continually need to nurture and uh, it's a bit like a plant, you know, you're continually watering it and hoping it grows and grows and grows. So, yeah, one of those really important things that you try and protect and defend as much as you can. Let's try to demystify it for a minute. The, to the topic, leadership. Damo, where do you start with it? Like, what does it mean yeah, for you? Yeah, it's such a, such a big question, isn't it, yeah. really? Like, and where do you go with it? I think um, I've always looked at leadership as being a journey. And if I cast my mind back to leadership early days and I think about the type of leader I was and where I am today, I think I've evolved a lot. So I, I, would, I would consider leadership, or particularly myself, as a perpetual student of, of leadership. And I think the way or the lens that I look through um, leadership has largely been shaped by my experiences. But it's also been shaped by the leaders that have led me. Yep. And I have unashamedly stolen you know, lots of ideas from the best leaders that I've worked with and equally those who have um, not been the best leaders and, I, and I've started to build my own toolkit. So I think it's a really um, important role that we play in being able to shape a vision and a purpose, um, a role that helps to empower people to be their very best. Um, and I think the best leaders, once they set that, that clear path, they get out of the way and they let their people, you know, really excel and do what they need to do. So, you know, really kind of broad brush statement, but there's some of the aspects I think that are really important in leadership. Um, the word student resonates, and in fact, you've, you've been involved with Melbourne Business School recently as being a student, but what, is, what does that actually mean for you personally? Like, being a student means yeah, look, observing think, people yeah, and... Yeah, absolutely, and having an open mind, um, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I think we are continually learning. So it's that, um, you know, leadership can be a very lonely place and there are times where you need to pause and reflect on the bits that are working and the bits that aren't. And, you know, feedback is not always forthcoming as a leader. So I think, you know, quite often you have to go out and seek it and you're going to get data points that you really like and you're going to get data points that validate the things that you know and you're going to get data points that quite possibly challenge you a lot. Yep. And they're those really important growth moments. So I think we're always learning. I've always thought the moment you think you know it all or you, you have all the answers is probably the time to tap out yeah, yeah. Uh, and do something different. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So the, yeah, the very best leaders I know that have been in industry for a very long time are always learning. They're always, they have this inquisitive mind yeah. and I've tried to all, you know, sort of follow that path as well. I'm going to be a little selfish, especially perhaps on behalf of the audience itself, that is from an HR lens. So um, Bunnings would fit into one of those categories of 
massive employer. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, I, I suppose that that almost that question of HR's role. Yeah. It's look, HR's role. We are there to serve our people. Um, and if you think of just even the concept, if you, you've been into our stores, we wear aprons. We serve our customers. So the way in which you know we try to shape up our the lens with for the HR team is we're there to serve our people too. Yeah. And we want to create terrific experiences for all of our team members. Um, and, and you know, with the view that great experiences for team members translates to great experiences for our customers. Um, so the way, the way in which we shape up the HR space is about you know, unlocking potential, but also enriching the experiences and the lives of our team members too. So we try and take it a bit beyond just the work context to their lives as well. Um, and we know that as we have you know, well-rounded people who come into work, they, they contribute terrific things, they have great ideas. The genius in HR is not with me, it's with the team. Say that again. The genius in HR is, is not with me. It's actually with the team. Yeah, great. So my job is to try and unlock that genius and create an environment where people feel safe to challenge the status quo. Um, and my job is to support that too. Yeah. Empathy um, became uh, – in fact, the, the topics today, the four topics today have surfaced out of hacking HR in terms of thematically the types of things that have been surfaced. And the empathy take – around leadership and I'm kind of tempted to go with you Alice in terms of empathy in a digital environment um, I don't know there's part of me that goes it's such an enabler technology's enabler but how do we keep that human part alive you can't have a successful digital environment without the people part and you can't have a successful people component without the humanity and is it that simple it's pretty simple I mean, the complexity is in realising it, not in, in, in terms of the, the execution piece or making it real, not in the concept. The concept is as simple as that. And lots of organisations, as I said earlier, continue to get that wrong because they think that serving your employees is a new HR system. And it might be, for example, sorry, <laughs> but it might, and I've been, you know, I mean, up until 18 months ago, I I've, I've always been an employee. So, um, you know, so it can be, but it's so much more than that. So the piece around that, that's really, I think to me, I mean, you said a, a lot of things that were, you know, amazing. Um, lifelong, you know, hashtag lifelong learning. I actually post, when I post things on leadership, I do use that hashtag because that to me, is really encapsulating what we're talking about, which is you are a continuous student, then you need to have the curiosity and all of those types of things. But all of those types of um, uh, values and I think behaviours go to the point about how do you want to behave. Yep. Um, so you can have the technology doing wonderful things, but if you're not role modelling the behaviours and the values, or you're asking the questions, but then your strategy and your programs and the way you engage with people and the way you send your emails out, even those types of simple yeah. things, or do your comms, doesn't articulate that, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, um, Nat made a really good point before, you know, highly stylized um, uh, campaigns internally or, or comms. It's not the comms itself, it's what it looks like. So if everything's sanitised <laughs> to an inch of its life, I'm, it's not I'm really work. fired up. Like before the robots <laughs> take over, yeah. like let's put the human seriously in the I spotlight. I think that's far away. You know, it's, it? it's, it's it a okay? little bit far away. I think we don't have to worry about the singularity for a while. Okay. Um, are we overcomplicating it, Damo? Like, are we, is is topics like leadership? Yeah. Are we making it too hard for people? Too some, complicated? 
There are some really important, uh, I think even recent images of leaders who I think demonstrate empathy. So if I think of the New Zealand Prime Minister, yep. you know, at a really important moment in time, and at a very, you know, it, it's such an important gesture. It was so compelling, it, but yet it was so simple too, wasn't it? It was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think at times we do complicate it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, for use of a better term, I, you know, the better, easier, more enjoyable experiences are often the ones that are really simple, yeah. and they're the ones that resonate with people. Yeah. So I think the the authentic leader, the one that is empathetic, and the one that can actually read the cues and understand. Um, and actively listen to other people to to help you know help them develop and grow. I think that's really where our energy lies. And um, what about probably... the people? And I'm really curious for both of you. And I know I'm only a couple of minutes away, so this is going really quickly. But what about the people that just thrive as technical and want to be experts and almost feel that pressure? I have to manage people because. That's my career path. That's the only way I but can get don't. somewhere. I mean, you don't. You don't? So and I think that's part of it, right, which is um, uh, what's the expertise that you want to cultivate yeah. um, and know what you're good at. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing – and I'll just say, you know, like the digital world is actually polarising um, leadership, good leadership and and awful leadership. And what's coming out is you might be the best technical expert. Look at someone like – I'm just reading the Uber book at the moment. So you look at um, at Travis Kalanick and you look at Mark Zuckerberg, even Sheryl Sandberg, and then you look at the New Zealand Prime Minister. So the digital gives you nowhere to hide. And what's actually happening is it's magnifying the really extreme cases of good leadership and people who might be good in a technical way but can't lead to save themselves or their organisation, you know. So it's actually okay, give yourself permission to say that I'm not necessarily going to, you know, go in that direction. Yeah, yeah I would support that as well. I think that, I mean, that, that, that leads to an authentic conversation, yeah. doesn't it? And there's comfort in that too. Yeah. And I don't think it is for everyone and that's okay too. Um, but what I, what I love though is the other side of that is when you discover people in teams who aren't necessarily aspiring for leadership but they just, they just have it yeah. and you see it and you can have a conversation and tap them on the shoulder and take them on that journey yeah. and that's okay too. Yeah. So I think there are, there are two sides to it. It's not for everyone and, and we should feel comfortable with that. Um, I get so fired up about this topic. I know in some respects I've got about 30 seconds to go <laughs> so I'm going to ask you for final <laughs> commentaries but for goodness sake it's just it's about turning ourselves up to, to 10 or even 11 and being, being ourselves. The, the most incredible leaders come in quiet moments, in, in moments of courage, yeah. and they don't all need to look kind of like me, mm -hmm. you know, middle-aged and white, and we can actually <laughs> look yes. different and act differently. Yeah. And a bit like you too. Yeah, well, well there, there are different <laughs> versions of it. Yeah, yeah. And, that's and okay. thank goodness this is an audio format. <laughs> There's lots of finger pointing. Here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Damien, what do you want to leave the group, the, the audience with? Look, as I touched on before, I think it's a privileged position and leaders that create environments that, where people can make a meaningful and a valuable contribution where effort is rewarded and it's recognised. And you take the time to, to understand your team. I think you know, you're setting yourselves up for you know, a really positive journey. But we are perpetual students and we're always learning. We don't always know the answers and that's okay too. Yeah, great. Alice? Um, uh, leadership is not positional. And so you don't have to have it in your title to be one. Um, and the authenticity piece will create empathy and human connection in a way that studying in textbooks won't. 
unless you're a psychopath and then you can fake it. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best way to leave it. I, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't mind that. I'm going to get you two back in the studio because we've only scratched the surface. So thank you very much. Uh, thank, thank you, <laughs> Amanda and Rick, thank you. All right, so uh, keep it going for Alice and Damien. I nailed it. Uh, so we've got a little bit of changeover now. This is the time to open those bags of popcorn, uh, make as much. This is the noisy part for you guys. Any of that noise that you've been storing up um, while the podcast is being recorded, uh, you know, in its, you know, the, the meat and potatoes part of the podcast. We don't mind a bit of hubbub during this bit. Um, I, think, um, I think it's safe to say as well that um, who else is scared of the robot uprising? <laughs> Colin's worried about it. And there was, yeah, me too. And there was quite a lot of, um, there was a, a huzzah moment, Alice. You got a gasp of like, <gasps> moment with your, you don't, it's not positional. Is that, yeah, yeah. leadership is not positional. So, well You done. also got the statistical percentage of the audience that is psychopaths. Uh, <laughs> they were like, yes, we can fake it. Thank you for recognising our skill set. Um, so, shout out to all the psychopaths who may be here. There must be at least one of you. Statistically. Yep. I mean, that's just statistics. Beautiful. <laughs> yep. Yes, did you have something you wanted to say? I'm coming over uh, to Wessa. Yes. Wessa? I'm Hi, Wessa. Psychopath. Do, would you like to say that again into the mic? I'm the psychopath. Oh, good. You are the psychopath. Um, you have, yep. Is there anything you'd like to quantify or qualify with that? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Great. Um, uh, you can come and look at her face later so that you know who she is. <laughs> um, a self-confessed psychopath. I like it. This is an honest room. Yeah. I might have given people far too much freedom in what they can do during the changeover. It's, it's bedlam in here. There's people at the snack station. Um, people have uh, broken out into breakout rooms. Uh, we've Not lost. Uh, uh, I've given them too much leeway, uh, but that's all right. Uh, so joining us for the second uh, topic of discussion, we've got Marika Knight. Marika Knight is the founding director of Cool Karma Collected, a boutique Melbourne-based consultancy dedicated to helping people and organisations be more engaged, more productive, less stressed and better equipped to face into challenges and ambiguity. And she is joined by Julie Isilva. Julie is a clinical psychologist that envisages a future workplace that understands the importance of brain health and implements psychological practices throughout the, employment, throughout the employee life cycle. She believes psychologists can lead this change. Ooh, nice. And the topic they are tackling? It's uh, how do we find purpose and wellness in a world of noise and distraction? A very good topic for such loud popcorn eaters. <laughs> Take it away. Thank you. A round of applause. <laughs> I'd ask you both about the second part of that question first, and that's the noise and distraction part. So in 2019, 2020... No, the noise of expectation, the noise of uh, social media, the noise of emails, the noise, the distractions, the pressures. Where do we, where do we even start? Where do we even start? We, yeah, yeah, I mean, when I read that um, topic, I don't know about you, but I just thought this is something I've been exploring for many, many years and 15 minutes is... Um, a small amount of time for that. Um, and what have you? What would you say you discovered in those years? 
about that there it's growing that it's a growing you know thing that we're facing into this level of noise and destruction just even hearing the last conversation around the piece on empathy and and um, humanity I think the noise and destruction is kind of preventing us even from that so I just think there's more and more of it and we're just kind of reacting in the face of it and in that we're losing out we're losing some really human capacities that are amazing so that's my take on it julie yeah i think um noise and distraction is is a lot to do with our phones in our hands and our you know screens that we're working with and there's a real big disconnect from ourselves. So we're busy all the time, but we're actually not connected with ourselves. We're connected with stuff outside of ourselves. And so for me, that causes noise in your nervous system because there's just this incoming information all the time. And that just regulates our nervous system. So it creates an inside noise that nobody's actually conscious of. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So that's before we even connect with each other. Yep. So we can't connect with each other until we connect with ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Is that something and you share? Oh, absolutely. And I think the really interesting point about that noise that's coming from inside is because it's so uncomfortable, we then create more noise and distraction because yeah. it's so exactly. hard to sit with that. Like whenever we try and when I teach mindfulness to people and they sit down, that feeling of like, oh, my God, I should be doing something else just instantly rises in us. And, um, you know, we, we don't even want to face into that adrenaline and, and nervous system response. Is it more than habit? Is it is it a an addiction is it yeah look I definitely think it's an addiction um if you've um listened to any of the the you know the experts that are working with what what is released when you're actually on your phone or social media it's dopamine um, and too much dopamine in the system actually causes dysregulation so it's definitely um an addictive process and how many likes did I get is more important than who am I why am I what am I all about so, you know, and until you can answer that question, you can't find your own meaning and purpose because your meaning and purpose is part of who you are. Yeah. Mm. And that, that is the, the core of the, the conversation is about finding meaning, finding purpose. But I can't help but think without reducing that noise somehow, we don't even have much of a chance. And yep. Yeah. Am I being too negative yeah. around no, that? We need to get quiet with ourselves. We need to actually start saying all the things that we're using has to benefit me, has to have value for me, and it shouldn't take away from me. I mean, you only have, I mean, I travel on the train and I watch everyone. You know, you could be slashing your wrists on the end of the train and nobody would actually notice because everybody's down, you know. And for me, it, there's such a lack of awareness of what's happening in our world because we're, we're so into the digital stuff. And I think, Julie, like that's a really interesting point because it, it totally plays into that disconnected piece from ourselves. So yep. we're so connected to th this that we're not actually asking that question about how does it feel to be on all this technology? How does it feel to be, you know, going for the likes or just constantly? You know, I read a stat the other day that the average worker looks at their email or refreshes their email for 30 times an hour yeah. um, and, and checks their screen 150 times a day. Exactly. And, and not looking at what is the impact of the stuff that I'm reading. I mean, it takes me to, I was thinking about it this week. We used to have censorship boards where information coming in would be filtered out and if it wasn't good for us, we wouldn't watch it. Mm. And I'm beginning to think that the lack of that censorship, we're not conscious of what impact that has on our nervous system when we look at, you know, horrible stories, bad pictures, um, and we're overloaded with 
actually traumatic information coming in, you know. So there's a part of me that's trying to hope that somewhere in the next <laughs> 10 minutes we're going to solve this. <laughs> Um, Not likely. It's like a societal yeah. dilemma. Yeah. Um, and it is. Um, it, yeah, it, 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 it is a genuine societal yeah. dilemma. Yeah. A lot of people in the room have some influence over organisational life. Yep. Uh, so maybe if we contain it to that for the next period, what, what is it that you talked about mindfulness? Mm. Uh, you've talk, you're most talking about its genuine brain impact than, yep. on the nervous system. What, what can we do? How can we help? Mm. ourselves and help the organizations we work in yeah do you want to yeah look i think i think we have to have um a real new paradigm with psychological wellness mm. it's not enough to have a therapist out there or eap programs i think you need to actually take the culture and make it more psychological because if we tapped into every organization and every organization had a mindfulness expert a psychologist and you know, a team of people, a remedial therapist, we'd actually be covering everybody as opposed to, you know, just a select few can actually access a therapist. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> We're in a live okay. audience. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Got a shock then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, I, I wish, I like, I do say wish because it, it's, it's challenging because we walk into, oh, I walk into organisations often and I know they're almost at crisis point or they are because there's so many issues with, you know, anxiety and rising stress and the re approach is so reactive at the moment. And yeah. so we, I just keep thinking, yeah, let, we've just got to stop and, and, and take stock of what's really going on right now. Yeah. Um, and that just seems to be a, a very confronting thing for a lot of organisations because it, it's so big. It's a huge yeah. it's a huge thing. It is a big thing. I think it would take a huge collaboration of mm. like-minded souls to actually start making the shifts, but we're far away from it. It would take a while before we would get momentum with the new idea. And I think there'll be lots of resistance to it as well because it's daunting to look at yourself. Because it means that everybody in an organisation has to look at themselves. Mm. Do maybe the answer to this question is both. But do we start with each individual, or mm. do we start at a much more systemic? I, I think level? more more group. Would, would you agree with me, Marika? Well, I feel like when I'm in organisations, we always go for um, you know we quite often will just go with maybe middle management or, yeah. you know, uh, lots of lower people in, in the scale of things. And I think that that's a real – it's great because there's that grassroots approach to it. But if you don't have that cultural impetus that, you know, the way things are actually working in the organisation that are creating the noise mm. and are creating the distraction, then, it, like, there's – the value that we'll get is like 10 percent yeah i don't know whether you feel the same way colin uh i i've been at two off-sites already this this week and i couldn't help in fact i was in an off-site this morning where i said we we're at the yarra valley and i said for goodness sake mm. look at the people out there they were mm. they were picking grapes and i said is anyone else envious yeah <laughs> and everyone yeah. said yes yeah and I suddenly realised we go away to these amazing places for off-sites and we don't get out of the room. Yeah. Um, so the good thing is I left at lunchtime and I said, today finishes at 3.30. Um, do go whatever you will. Grapes. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. Go do something. Just connect again. Mm. Get yeah. grounded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so part of the problem is and the solution is in grapes. <laughs> <laughs> in every variety. 
Is that good enough? <laughs> That'll do. Um, it's a, it sounds like it's a leadership question. Yep. It For me, like it feels like a leadership question. It's got to have, you know, um, as was said in the previous dis discussion, it's got to be role modelled from the top mm. down because the, the resistance that a lot of people have is that, you know, it's scary to do psychological stuff um, and, and, you know, I don't want to have a mental illness because, you know, I'm okay. So we've got to, you know, take the stigma away. We've got to say this is psychological fitness. This is brain health, same as physical health. Mm. We all go to gym, um, but we're not filtering um, what we eat mentally. Mm. Yeah. Do you think this, the, the science take on this can actually help, like it mm. kind of to validate... Yep. Some of this, yep. Julie. For sure. Yeah. 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 So, if you had to name what your your purpose is, and I'm going to ask both of you this question: what What's your purpose? What do you stand for? What What's this all about for you? This is about meaning for me and, and making a difference. And I think at this point in time, to be honest, my meaning is is changing drastically. So, you know, the one-on-one -on -one work that I've done for so long is just moving and I'm like, this is not enough. Um, and I just keep... As I, a clinical psychologist, one-on-one... -on -one, it's like not enough. It's not enough. No, I mean, I can't cope with where I'm working at the moment with the number of people that I'm seeing. And then I'm like, and what about everybody else who's who's struggling, people that are going into the workplace with trauma that they never discuss with anybody else? Um, so for me... You know, if I can be part of making a difference and then there's a, a, a collaboration with like-minded souls, yeah, it's... So it sounds like your your horizon, your ambition, your lens is growing in terms of yep. what's possible. And where to, you know, don't know. Yep. Yeah. But hopefully it will be of some benefit to, to others. Yeah. Raka, yeah. your purpose? Oh, um... Yeah, well, I guess it's so funny because I once worked at Landers and Rogers. Um, Are you serious? Mm. Um, oh. Yes, a long time ago. Not as a lawyer at that point, but um, yeah, I guess for me it was working in. And then you went and you when studied I the law. And oh yeah, I was a lawyer, yeah. and then and then you left the law. And I left. I <laughs> sorry, guys. I left the law, but now I'm working back in law firms doing exactly what I always felt I I, I should, and that was because I'd already been practicing these tools um, of self-regulation and self-awareness, and they were making me so effective. And yet, I'd be standing with equity partners and saying I'd been at a meditation retreat, and they would literally look like I was going to sing Kumbaya. Like it was just <laughs> such. A, this was a while ago, I think, and not at Landers. Um, but this, the, it, there was such a discord. So. When you said about the science, I think that is fundamental. We, When I go into organisations, it's talking about the science. I spent so much time in the States learning about, you know, what is actually happening to our brain and our bodies with stress and how can we start to kind of, um, you know, even just implement tiny little micro practices throughout our day that are going to change the way we're interfacing with digital, which is changing our brains and, you know, help us to evolve a little bit quicker with technology. So, you know, I guess my purpose is now to be doing that on such a large scale for the same reason I feel this sense of urgency yeah um and one of my amazing mentors said it's like the hungry are beating down the doors and I really feel like we're at that point now and organizations come to me and I feel that's what where they're yeah. at so I guess my purpose is to try and somehow alleviate some of that you haven't met before either no and no we, uh, um, yeah. I feel like we have yeah we've <laughs> yeah. just been hitting yeah. it off we've had we've had lots of conversations of already we should have been candid cameraing <laughs> us over there we should have the mics yeah. over there yeah. <laughs> sure yeah yeah what can the people in this room do like it, th th there was a purpose question for both of you what do the people in this room do with if this if this resonated in any way shape or form for yeah. them 
what what's the ask of them? Start having conversations with their with their leaders about you know what can we do within our organisation to actually bring about more psychological fitness so that our people are well, our productivity will go up. Um, you know, s- studies in the USA are confirming that there is such a difference in an organisation that has wellness at the, you know at the at the helm. Yeah, and even the psychological safety piece, the Google research, even in the fact that it's just mm. Google just helps us, yeah. mm. gives us credibility yep. and validation. We need to connect. Yeah. You know, mm. I think that's come up quite a few times in, in everybody's conversation tonight. Yeah. We're disconnected. Mm. Yep. We're, we're, we're so digitally everywhere, but we're actually no further down the road than we were. Yeah. We were in trouble. What can people do? <laughs> um I would just uh, th- there's just so much amazing information out there already. Like there's an um, amazing initiative in the UK because the UK had an all parliamentary party based on this kind of stuff. So if people are interested in putting together business cases or you know starting the discussions, there's so much out there at the ready to help assist have these conversations and make sure that it's 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 in done in a way that helps you know, the people who are signing off on these programs to get across the line. So mm. I guess that's one small way and in terms of our just our last minute and, and it's something you and I spoke about on the phone mm. you we even talked about doing stuff like today which is actually the noise and the pressure that in fact we all three of us put on each other to get the message right and uh, what's the talking mm. points and yep. mm. how how much research do I need to do yeah um, so what we're doing right now is somewhat quite deliberate around turning some of that noise down yeah and it definitely feels that way. Just having that ability to connect in with whoever and start to have these discussions and create the awareness around what's really going on. I think that's that's the starting point. Yeah, it's yeah. the collective consciousness. Yeah, you know, we're, we're all connected. You know, how how can we do this as a team? And and then it will just expand. Mm. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I was thank here. You. Thank you. Yeah, these guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Amanda, Rick. Thank you so much, Marika and Julie. Thank you very much. And noise time. Yeah, Open not too much. <laughs> Keep it under control. You guys went crazy last time. That was <laughs> that was too much. Yeah. Um, um, we've all. You go. Yeah, I just really want to quickly talk to this gentleman here. Um, you had such a great reaction. Did you want to share anything with everyone? Tried to lead a round of applause. Did not get traction. <laughs> but hats off. Um, yeah, I think it really resonates. I think. Um, the change within organisation needs to be systemic and structural and not superficial, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. Um, the need to... I think it's a duty of care for employer to look after the employee. Yeah. Uh, and more than just um, paying them the gym um, or having some other stuff, which are very superficial and painting in the wall, but really looking after them in terms of their self-awareness. How do they empower them to um, um, to discover themselves, to accept themselves as they are, and for a leader to be vulnerable um, and to have uh, that humility to accept that. So, but yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I left my sheet. Yeah, oh, there you that's all right. I've got another comment. Joe, I've got a question. Um, this is fantastic in a practicality perspective, and I work um, with really small to medium businesses, 
and we're talking large. It comes across as you're talking large organisational things, not as big as Bunnings, but you know. So how do we talk about those practicalities in a small to medium business when um, the owner of the business is absolutely at wit's end, and he might only have ten staff, but he still needs to have that well-being, and he doesn't necessarily have the resources, the financial resources, to do it. Uh, it's um, it. I think the reason why I'm hesitating so much is because it actually those situations scare me even more. Um, yeah, they scare me even more. It's um, uh, Nat. I'm going to ask you. You may not know this exactly, but working at MYB looks after small business. Small business makes up in the Australian population. Uh, do you have a read on how many people work in small business? Two million. No, it's more than that. How I'm looking at Sally. I can't remember what percentage, but it's a huge percentage of the population. And I think there's a statistic that you probably know that is 60% of small business owners suffer from some type of mental um, illness or trouble, you know, during their tenure. And so, I mean, the thing that we advise, so we have just moved into this space of thinking about what's the role that we can play in helping address small business um, mental health issues and what is accessible to them. So whether it's, with, you know, I think somebody spoke before about those micro moments and it's acknowledging that any time is better than no time and being conscious of your mental health as a part of your practice is something really important to do. So utilising, I mean, luckily we've got things like access to free apps now like Smiling Minds. So if you're, like the thing that we do is we say well, if you're an MYOB customer you have access to Smiling Minds for free. So trying to build those things into your daily life but making the most of what is out there. Um, I know Beyond Blue are looking into small business ownership. That's the next segment that they're going to kick off. Um, so I think it is going to become more of a topic and be more addressed. But I think the only thing that people can do is be more conscious of it. And I think for small business owners it's about also understanding the impact of the stress that they carry as a small business owner not only on themselves but, as you say, on their employees and also on their family and it's also connected and so it is a huge society issue. I think, um, Colin, it's safe to say that like almost every single episode and every single conversation we just scratch the surface and you have more guests to have on to talk about this for much longer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it is a problem. Everyone chasing chasing the likes and trying to cultivate online success. But on that, do log on to the uh, podcast apps. <laughs> Follow us. Hashtag present and of work. Subscribe. Uh, we really want to win at the internet, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I promised my son I would win the internet. Thank you very much. He's eight. I don't want to let him down. And neither do you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Thank you for sharing. It is something that needs con continued conversation. Uh, let's move on to the uh, the next topic of conversation. We've got oh, we've got a full panel, three people up there. Mm. Join Colin. Um, we've got Lorna Deng. Lorna is the co-founder of DivTel, a HR consultant and a passionate advocate for equality. Her purpose is to help create a more inclusive future of work. We have yes, thank you. We have Francesca E. Silva. Francesca is one part hacking HR committee partner, two parts avid coffee drinker, and three parts a curious individual wanting to disrupt HR to bring in the future of work. She also finds writing a self-bio awkward. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and finally, we've got Sharon Morton. Sharon is a Hacking HR Committee partner and experienced HR practitioner. 
Sharon is curious and passionate about working alongside the next generation to help them explore new workforce models and to shape their vision on the future of work. It's a full panel. Uh, and how many of us are envious of the high-flying, cushy lifestyle of seasonal fruit pickers? Everyone? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'd all well, love, they're, we'd they're all just love backpackers. to live They're backpackers who aren't they're getting paid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're getting free booze. <laughs> No, I, I think that's what it is. I don't know. I tried to great pick once. Uh, I've, got, I've got empathy now. I've got bad back syndrome. Yeah. The, the topic is not fruit picking, though it no. should be. It's <laughs> the lifestyle we should all embrace. Uh, but the topic of discussion is what must HR professionals do now to reap the benefits of organisations' investment in diversity and inclusion? Beautiful. Thank you and take it all away. Right. All right. I'm, I'm pretty fired up about this one. <laughs> Australians are really crap at this topic. Mm -hmm. organizations we're horrible we're quite racist we're quite um you know i'm going to provoke it right from the very start we think we've done it mm. okay yeah, we think we've we done this diversity thing in fact i read that article that actually said we're a bit over it over the diversity <laughs> we're over team. diversity yeah um so let's get fired up why yeah. are you fired up about this one francesca um it probably is a bit of a personal story so um my accent gives away that i'm originally from south africa so i think coming from south africa into i originally landed in perth with my younger sister when we immigrated south africa to perth yes and um when i arrived there i th coming from south africa we already have quite a big racial divide we um our history speaks to um we went through apartheid it, we already have that history there. So I'd never really understood the other side's version of the story. And then coming to Perth and, yeah, being discriminated against because I was South African. And one of the things that I was chatting to Lorna about, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, is I was saying to her, you know, I at least could make myself look like everybody else until I opened my mouth and then my voice gave away she's different she's not from here she's from South Africa and one of the big reasons why I wanted Lorna on the podcast is because if we're going to start to talk about diversity and inclusion we need to start band-aiding the topic and really not lean in but fall into the conversation and get curious about someone else's journey and when I um, approached Lorna about this and asked her if she was keen to get involved I actually asked a quite a direct conversation and we had a really real raw conversation which I, th I think was needed and I just asked her you know from your perspective what does the world look like for you because I could hide my difference but I understand that it's not easy for you to do so because the world already projects their own perception of you. Lorna? Yeah, it was an interesting conversation and, you know, I'm a South Sudanese person in Melbourne. You know, we are one of the most discriminated people in this place. And so, and for me, diversity and inclusion, it's not a topic. It's not a nice to have thing. It's my life, you know. And so when I have conversations about it, you know, these are real emotions. These, this is my experience. It's what I face at work and, you know, when I go home and, you know, when I get on public transport. And so... And so I think the diversity and inclusion topic, and I also read that article around the, we're so tired of diversity. <laughs> we're so tired and, of diversity. And, and we How did that make you feel? It. Like, I was so, I was so I fired mean, up. And I think that's the thing. People, yeah, people think diversity and inclusion is a topic when 
it's people's lives that is that is that should be the topic you know these are people's experiences and and I think that's the big misconception I think these days um it's very much around you know uh quotas and metrics and you know, let's put up a cool photo of our diverse team where in reality organizations are really not diverse and so it's really around the optics where you know if you're having the conversation it should really be about you know what is the experience of your underrepresented people within your organization you know are they being developed you know are they being you know sponsored you know are they getting equal opportunities as everyone else and and I think that's that's the missing part we've really gone too far and you know we were now missing the humanity side of diversity yeah and i think it's because the purpose behind it is all profit driven you are looking on a return on investment whereas you should be looking at it as it's collective consciousness again like your organizations should reflect that wider community in which you operate like it doesn't make sense for organizations not to do this from a collective whole but they band-aid diversity and inclusion and then they put an initiative in and they say, well... At the same time, I reckon we need to do the end. That is, we need to do it for all of those reasons, all of those reasons, and the economics. Like, yeah. um, quite candidly, like, if, if, money, if money's the thing that talks and if money's the things that changes this, then let's do whatever we take. It's like climate change. It's like yeah. everything. Um, it's bloody sad that that's what it would take, um, mm. but if that's what it would take... I would, I would be prepared to do it. What's some of your lived experiences, Lorna? What are some of the things that we w could be amazed by? So I think, uh, so I'm South Sudanese, but I, I didn't grow up there because of the war. So I've lived in seven cities. So I, my childhood was very unstable. So born in Kenya, lived in Botswana, went to Egypt, Wales, and then migrated to Australia. So a lot of instability and you know, coming to Australia was so exciting and, you know, you come to this country where, you know, there's so much opportunity and hope and and you come here and the reality is very different. It's actually, you know, coming with nothing and starting from scratch. Yeah. I think really face that as a family and, you know, everything I have today, I've had to work really hard to get there. And I think... Harder than you think you should have to work, mm. like I, to prove I, yourself? I think so because being, you know, I'm automatically judged just based on my skin color right. and so you know it's and and you're constantly just having to fight the stereotypes away and you know I've got brothers you know who are six foot tall South Sudanese guys you know you know working professionals you know don't get into criminal activity at all and but they sit on the train and you know people move away because because what you see on TV is, you know, South Sudanese men are, you know, dangerous, and you know, they and so and so that's the experience of a lot of people. And wow, wow. And, and Colin, I'm sitting here, and yeah, I read yeah. an article, um, and I, as, as I said in my intro, long time in in HR, so the line's pretty long. Um, and I've only met Lorna tonight. We had a lovely conversation just before. Um, I'm th I'll, I'll be honest, this is really confrontational for uh, for for me, and I'm sitting in a privileged position because. Um, naturally born Australian, things uh, come easy to me, okay, um, and got into what was um, affirmative action years yep. ago that went yeah. into inclusion and diversity, um, and certainly around representation of females in, in the organisation and representation of females in leadership roles. Yes. And along the way, we thought, oh, but we're a multicultural society, we be better start thinking about it, yeah. but we're not doing anything about it. 
And, and that's and I love your analogy around the underrepresentation of your population in your organisation and how are they going. Mm. Um, and the other thing that resonates with me is the lived experience. Uh, earlier on, you talked about and we had a session around leadership. I had experience like that just recently where we say young people are too young for leadership because they haven't have experience he's lived experience absolutely you know so that replacement as well i think we all and the connection piece connect as humans rather than judge um and, and i'm a mother of young lads and i say don't judge people for who they are judge people for or see them for who they are not who you want them to be yeah and that, that's the messaging as well, but organisationally, yeah, it, it, it's a long way behind. I, um, I think one of the things, I, the reasons for getting so fired up about this is it's, it's probably, we've hit that moment where we've, I'm about to say we've done enough around empowering individuals and saying, you can do this, okay? Like, I think that time, in fact, that probably time hit. Um, was ineffective some time ago. It's now seriously about systemic change. It's it's seriously about boards of directors, uh, small business owners, government leaders just making a genu genuine stand. Um, I, I think it goes a little bit further. And as an article yep. friend, refer, I think we referred each other to from, a, I can't remember the lady's name, and she said you can look for all these sweet spots and little shiny things in your organisation, but it starts with me. Yeah, yeah. So the judgement that I'm making, yeah. and, I, and, and it gets back to everything we talked about tonight, yeah. that connection piece, sees as humans. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're going wrong. It starts with me. We've got HR influencers in the room. What, what, what's our ask from them? What are you asking of them, Francesca, the people in this room? I think I would just say when you are looking at designing diversity and inclusion initiatives, ask the people that are different what the experience is like because that will help you shape a meaningful diversity and inclusion strategy. Yeah, yeah, which is also about listening as opposed to justifying or, or just... Yeah, and just putting it into a category. Yeah, just I think going in with the right mindset that it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's through that uncomfortable feeling that we create change. Hmm. Lorna? I think it's really looking at systems. You know, a lot of systems have bias embedded in them and really just acknowledging that and going from... You know, it's a, it's a shift in mindset. So you're going from unconscious bias to conscious inclusion. So as recruiters, you know, if you look at your who you're recruiting into the organisation, are they reflecting the organ? Are, are they reflective of the community? And as leaders, you know, if you're promoting people and you're um, developing people, you know, are they diverse? Do they represent the community? And I think sometimes the you know diversity. Um, categories can be very narrow, so it's gender, you know, cultural diversity, it's, you know, LGBTI and accessibility. And, you know, I went to a, an event a few a few weeks ago and, you know, someone talked about their chronic illness yeah. and, like, that's not even a conversation, you know, that we're having. It's not even part of the diversity conversation and you were talking about inclusion and we're completely excluding this entire um, group of people that are not... Can I ask all, all three of you, um, what's 
what's the weird part about those conversations? Like, so if someone sat down with you, Lorna, and, and said, oh, tell me about your story, like, wh- where do they start getting weirded out? Does that make any sense? Like, they kind of go, whoa, I don't know what to do with that anymore. Do, do, you, do you have that experience? Like, that people don't even know how... You said seven cities, you said war-torn... Like yeah, yeah. So I think you know, coming, you're living in Australia. I have such a different upbringing. You know, com- people that people just wouldn't even understand. You know what? You know where I've come from, and you know probably will never really understand where I've come from and what I've gone through. And I think sometimes are they even interested? Like I know that sounds a strange question, but do they show genuine interest in it? Because I'm yeah, I'm fascinated can, already yeah, about your story. Yeah. Like I so want to yeah, understand can, it. Yeah. You can definitely tell when people are interested and in, and in if they're just asking, you know, out of non-genuine. Yeah. So it's it's easy to pick up. And so when people really are interested in you, know, I, I'm happy to engage and you know share. This is where I've come from. This is what I've experienced. And I think it's and it's if you're curious and you know, people are actually willing to open yeah. up and share their experiences. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sharon, you work. You've had. Uh, a, a career in HR, you've seen lots of change over that time. How do we make systemic change? How do we influence that? For me, and it gets back to this, it's me, it's in every single one of us, we should go home tonight and say, what judgment calls am I making? Yeah. Every, that's to me where it gets down. Fundamentally, what judgment calls am I making? Um, and, and I challenge people that I engage with all the time with the question, how do you know how, do you, how do you know? How do you know? Great question. They don't know because we've got to be curious. We've got to ask the question and we're not stopping. Yeah. yeah. And we've got to start with me. Yeah. Francesca? Um, I probably echo all of those things. Um, I was recently reading a book, I think it's by Lee Sales, An Ordinary Day, and she's talking about essentially um, resilience and how she looks at the events across Australia and how people have risen above them yes um due to their inherent faith but the interesting thing is she spoke to how people when you do lose a loved one the people around you feel uncomfortable to touch base check in and see how you're doing and i would parallel that to diversity and inclusion because you you don't ask the other person about their journey because it makes you feel uncomfortable, but you justify it by saying it would make that person feel uncomfortable, which isn't true. So it's about getting curious and really thinking about things like your recruitment strategies. Do they make sense? And uh, diversity is across all, it's an array of things. So you've got, what about neurodiversity? You've got, if we can't even get the woman element right, how are we gonna get women of color into the workforce. It's just, yeah, really challenging your beliefs. In the audience, um, we have Wessa and Christ- is Christine around? Done incredible piece of research that I'm so proud of uh, and humbled by. Uh, done uh, some research around the Asian, Australian Asian experience. Mm. Mm. Um, and one of the most sad parts about that research is how many. Uh, people with an, who identify as Asian Australian want to actually take on people leadership roles, but they are thrown into technical roles. Mm. Like it's, um, so there are so many stories around this. We are doing some incredible work. There are people in this room who are passionate, dedicated, and really making some change. And um, the three of you are amongst that. So thank you so thank much. You. I was just going to say, there's a lovely Please. article. I think it was- Sorry, a- Sharon, yeah. 
I don't remember the company, um, but it resonated with me, it got my attention. The tagline was, I've broken the bamboo ceiling. Yeah, yeah. And I stopped and thought about it and I thought, my God, yes. Yeah. Yes. Fabulous. Fantastic. Congratulations. It's yeah. great. How do we read... Um, uh, Lorna, I know you're moving on to, from the next yes. one and you guys are staying, but how do people contact you and your work? Uh, LinkedIn is the best. I'm pretty bad at social media except for LinkedIn, so yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> and what and what is it that your what is it that your company does, your consultancy does? So DivTal, it's an online job platform that will help connect organizations with culturally diverse talent. So it hasn't launched yet. It launches in February. So I think, you know, one of the things if you want diversity first step is to have representation within your organization. Yeah. And so we're really trying to help address that because it's a gap in, in the market. Right. One more really, oh, sorry, round of applause, yes. One more um, quick shout out, and this, uh, we encountered this recently on the Leadership Fools episode. Atlassian, which is a great uh, tech success story here in Australia, now has their global head of diversity and belonging. And I really like that. Mm. Okay, mm. diversity and belonging. So maybe that's somewhere we need, need to get to. Panel on diversity. Well done. Thank you so much. Wasn't a panel. Uh, we've talked about diversity, now we're over it. We're over it. <laughs> we're moving on. Moving on. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, a more chance to open packages. Please, if yes. You, if you Grab drinks. There's still, there's still a few magnums left on magnums? ice. We're into it's the final push. Time. Yep. The I final push. I imagine James. that they're melting. One more topic for discussion. Beautiful. Andrew's got the right idea. <laughs> Amanda, can you just double check in the audience? Um, any, I'm really curious about what stood out, particularly about that yeah, last yeah. one. Do we uh, have any any points that anyone would like to make or share? Christine, is there anything that? you want to say? There we go. There's over here Wessa? too. That's right. We've got over We've here. Got over here. Fantastic. I will Thank come you. back. I will come back. Well played. Thank you so much. And you are Priyanka. Um, hi, I'm Priyanka, and uh, first of all, thank you. It's my first time here, and it's really been uh, great so far. So, and I, uh, Lorna, big shout out to you. I, I, I can't relate to you as much, but um, yes, I can. And M.K. Gandhi said, Mahatma Gandhi said, "Be the change you want to see, right? And you want to be." So the problem today is that as the HR leaders and the recruiters who are the gatekeepers in organizations. Uh, the problem is we always like to recruit people who resonate with us, who feel in the, you know, that, oh, that person is like me. So are we, and that includes the same skin color, the cultural diversity, the language, even name. Yes. So people I know change their names when they come to Australia because it's difficult to pronounce. So, you know, and that really, uh, you know, irks me as a globally uh, traveled uh, you know, HR person, I have worked in India and China, but I struggle to get uh, a job here and a call here because, oh, you know, I, uh, I'm i not Australian, um, I have, don't have the skin color, uh, same uh, accent maybe, but yes, I, I do have a good experience, right? But the problem is, uh, as HR gatekeepers and HR people, are we willing to give an opportunity to, you know, uh, people from our own kind? So that's not happening, and unless, so, I actually, for me, diversity and inclusion is very simple. Why do we have to look at anything else than what skills and what the person is bringing to the table? Name, culture, nothing else should matter. Yeah. Thank so you. That's, that's my you know, thoughts. Thank you so Thank much. You. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we are going to uh, get people 
heading back to the main podcast area <laughs> so we can dive into the final section. Notice the front row has failed to fill up again. Yeah, so there are a couple of uh, bags of popcorn available on these front seats if anyone <laughs> wants to grab. I always like to study the uh, psychology of audience filling up. I think you can write a book on second row psychology. <laughs> second row. The second row always fills up first. It's yeah. like it, 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 uh, it shows confidence without vulnerability. It's, it's, a good, <laughs> it's a good place to sit. And then the, the front row starts to fill up towards the end with people who are empathetic, who, who feel sorry for the performers. They're like, oh, there's no one. We'll sit up the front. It'll be fine. We don't need your pity. Or psychopaths who are pretending to be empathetic. You know who you are. It's a general rule, though. As this is, this is a, a top tip for anyone going to see shows, especially comedy shows. Um, I, I can't speak for stand-up comedians, but certainly improvisers. If you're in the front row, we're not going to pick on you. You've sat in the front row and we thank you. Yeah. That's, that's it. So if you can sit in the back row, if you come in first and sit in the back row, you're all ours. That's your fair game is what you are. Amanda and Rick, um, Hacking HR mm -hmm. has uh, recently hit 30,000 LinkedIn. It's not a competition. Members. <laughs> but they are winning. Leadership of Fools, <laughs> just before we went on live, had 494. 494,000. That's amazing, Colin. Well done. <laughs> I mean, Rick keep, Brown. Keep pushing it, though. Keep pushing it. That's 494. All right. Full stop. Good effort. Good. Effort. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I guess I guess that's a call to action. That's call to uh, action. Yeah, put uh, put leadership of fools in the faces Andrew Thomas, of your can you colleagues. Get, onto that? get them to follow. Let's make Colin. You can feel get good. onto that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> There are seasonal fruit pickers who've got more <laughs> followers than us. <laughs> With their highfalutin lifestyle that everyone craves. <laughs> oh, picking them grapes. Curse you. Way to network. Yes, I need to uh, stop laughing so we can continue with business. All right, so if you're standing and, and you're going to make your way back to seats, feel free to do so uh, quietly <laughs> as we head on into our last conversation for the night. Yes, uh, so joining the panel, I mean, Colin's still here. Uh, we've still got Francesca. We've got Sharon. Uh, they're faces we've grown to know and love. Uh, yep. Voices yep. that we, we could... We stay as we're not going anywhere. Yeah, we're we staying with Colin. <laughs> we've grown very fond of the sound of their voices. Thank you. Uh, and joining the panel is James Sackle. He's the founder of Karma 3. He spends his time assessing how he can use fly larvae for sustainable food management. He's I mean, it sounds like a joke, but this is uh, <laughs> powerful. <laughs> um, he is constantly thinking of a better future, fly larvae-based better futures. And, and, and he has, I, I want to I finish with his tagline. This is great. This is James Sackle, saving the earth with an army of insects. Mm. Yeah, I've, that never been, <laughs> I've never but been more excited. Before we get into the topic, tell us about that. All right, so the business is called Karma and uh, we, we do have an army of insects. Uh, we just use them to process food waste. Uh, and what we do with the insects sort of after they've finished eating uh, is turn them into sustainable protein additives. Um, so for instance, dog food. So um, that's, uh, that's what we do at uh, ironically called Karma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All perfectly called Karma. I love All it. perfectly, yeah, correct. Is this an um, Australian innovation? You? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I've got a, got a team of uh, eight, uh, but uh, I founded it with my brother-in-law three years ago. Wow. Um, so it, uh, yeah, it was a crazy idea back then and it still kind of seems a bit like a crazy idea, but um, 
we've uh, we've now got customers, so it can't be that crazy. Wow. <laughs> More than the insects. That aren't insects. Yeah, yeah. that aren't insects. Yeah, yes, right. exactly. That's not like you could team up with uh, an army of uh, seasonal fruit pickers as well. <laughs> <laughs> you work together. Any of the food that they're, that they're not picking, Absolutely. send the fly larvae in. It's a win-win. Uh, but we're not discussing fly larvae, although it may come up. Hopefully, fingers Hopefully crossed. Hopefully uh, We're discussing why skills will be the new job currency. Take it away. Thank you. Sharon. Mm, Colin. Um, you and I... At the table, at the, this metaphoric table, probably yep. our careers are at the back end more than a, the starting end. We've got a long line. We've got a long line. Yeah. Um, the skills that we work on, the skills that you think you need to continue to develop and grow, mm. um, that you haven't nailed yet, that you're still learning about. I learned in the last podcast, for instance, you're always learning. Yeah. Seeing people for who they are, yep. um, being human. Connection, the empathy piece, constant everyday learning, Um, which is a behaviour for me. I say that's – and be mindful around that. Um, Meaning you have to work at it. Taking the time to sit back and observe it to make sure I am present. Does that make sense? That's the one. You can have as much domain knowledge as you like, but if you can't show up and be authentic, you can be human and and feel. You're not in the game. Let me go straight to you, James. What sort of skills does it take to do something that sounds entrepreneurial, sounds innovative, sounds like a huge upside and perhaps a huge downside at the same time? Like, what does it take? Look, I think uh, if you're, you're trying anything uh, that's innovative, um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure whether whether um, turning a blind eye is a skill, um, but I think you do need to uh, focus on the, the, the optimistic rather than the pessimistic. Uh, and you do need a, a you know, healthy or unhealthy sense of, of self-belief. Um, so from, you know, that's a non-technical skill that um, I think you, know, you, you need to possess. Um, but uh, on the flip side, uh, you need to obviously have the skills to uh, complete the task at hand or be skillful at uh, selecting the people that do have the requisite skill sets to get the job done. Mm. So a level of self-awareness, a level of... Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe a, uh, an elevated level of self-awareness possibly. Or, yeah. Yeah, tell, tell me, so tell me more about that. Like that you almost have to have a, a sense of strong belief. You need to have conviction in what your idea is. Right. Uh, and uh, there'll always be people that will try to you know, pull the idea down, um, pull you down. Uh, and it really is a, uh, you know, a, a skill of sort of realigning. Um, like you always focus on what the goal is, uh, you know, no matter what, hap- what, ha- what has happened during the day. Um, when you, your head hits the pillow, you have to think about what am I actually doing this for? Um, and that sort of, uh, you know, um, it makes everything a lot brighter. Like you realise that, you know, these are just small little bumps along the road. Um, and uh, So people, there are naysayers, there are people that are just... Yeah, 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 plenty. Um, yeah. I, I, what keeps you going is the the line of sight to the goal. So you really need to you know uh, push away the uh, you know those little hurdles. In the scheme of things, they're not not large hurdles, um, and uh, really focus on what you have set out to do, uh, regardless of what anybody says. Um, I think uh, your confidence breeds confidence. And there's a wonderful word, and we've talked about this before in different conversations, um, between resilience and grit. For me, grit is um, everything will be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. 
So you've got to have, for me, it's bucket loads of grit to do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Grit and resilience. Grit and resilience. And, and I see the grit very quite different to resilience. Yeah. Mm. I pose the actual question to you, Francesca. So what, why are skills the new currency? Um, hmm. Why are they so important? I would... Can I potentially flip the question? Please, go um, ahead. <laughs> I'm curious around if, before we can even look at skills, if the mindset piece, and it talks to what James was saying, needs to be right first. Because um, I recently read a term called epistemological modesty. And um, it's basically an attitude. Have you got that? Hashtag? It's a tongue, a tongue twister. Say something. <laughs> um, and it's essentially, it's a belief grounded in the mindset of always l having to learn, yep. adapt, unlearn. So I'm curious around if um, we kind of go through work with that mindset first, because then the skills come after. Um, and it's the same with an organisation they have to have that mindset so that can create a learning organisation, but the individual also has to have the want to learn and having, um, I think what they're called, it's a psychological principle called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, and that's basically cognitive bias and thinking that we our cognitive ability is higher than what it is. So having that, I know uh, I love this one. Yeah, love it. and having I love it. and I recently read about. I was aware of metacognition, but if and this speaks to leadership. If you don't have metacognition and you're not aware and understand your own thought processes, then the future looks a bit scary because you're never challenging what you think. And the kind of rounding up to your question in terms of skills, I think sense making is the skill of the 21st century, and it's needed. You're nodding a lot. I am nodding I'm a lot. I'm really yeah. curious because, like, in the world of fish lava and the world of, I can't even pronounce <laughs> some of those things, like, why are you nodding so much? Because uh, I really do feel like you, you, even if you don't have the skills to begin with, uh, if you've got the desire and, you know, it's you're going to move mountains to get there and uh, if it means acquiring new skills, you're going to do it, um, almost by sort of osmosis. Right. Uh, you're going to, if you have to do it, it's the Bear grills type thing. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Good old Bear grills. Adapt, survive, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's why, I'm, uh, that's why I'm agreeing so much with Fran. One of the things I don't know, um, this is, this is an, not an either or, this is an and point. In organisations, we put a lot of effort into mindset, attitudes, examining that. It's helped with mindfulness, etc. One of the things that those two people over there do, Rick and Amanda, is to get up on stage uh, to improvise without the benefit of a script, without the benefit of props or benefit of costumes. If you've seen Thank God You're Here, whose line is it anyway? They practice their skills, like seriously practice things, even like listening skills. Um, one of the things I don't think we do at all in organisational life is we talk about the theory of stuff, we explore the mindset, but we actually don't even practice these things. So I'm interested in your take on that. Sharon, you're nodding there. Like, there's, what does that mean for you? Well, isn't it the classic line where God gave you two ears and one mouth? <laughs> so two to listen with, one to, to speak with. Um, so the question is around mindset. Is that what you're asking? Uh, it's, it's, it's our... 
I'm struck by how if you want to be elite at something, yeah. you practice, you rehearse. Yeah. Um, and yet we don't practice conversations. We don't practice meetings. We don't practice decision making. We don't practice... Um, because I think, well, for me, I think we make the assumption that, you know, we, we write up these beautiful job descriptions and sometimes they're three and four pages and at the end of the day you think, what are they being asked to do? And, and we practice that rather than actually get simplified down, which is why we're curious around, and what we're not curious, we're saying it's, it's around the skills bit because we want to actually un unpack all that stuff and say what is the activities that are needing to be done? Yeah. And we're... Ex we're hiring based on um, a subject domain or knowledge domain rather than some activities that people have some skills to do. So it's like if you do the meeting thing, we assume people know how to run meetings. Yeah. Well, how do we know? Yeah. We've got to actually teach them. And I think the other thing around what this generation, because you and I on this side of the invisible table with our lifelong, um, they're not going to do what we've done, which is learn, do, potentially retire, they're going to do learn, do, learn, do, and apparently rest, then learn, <laughs> and repeat it. So there's yeah. that lifelong learning, which is absolutely awesome. So that's where I think the challenge for organisations when we job role rather than skill set. James, you're talking to a lot of HR people in the, ro in, in the room. Yes. They have some influence, whether they're working with small business, big business, effect on others. Yes. What would you, you know, if you if you got a chance to even look at their curriculums of learning and development, what would you say are the skills that probably are missing in HR? Uh, well, no, in terms or of within. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> well, you can go there if you yeah, want. Tell us Long crowd. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get home safely? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's probably the question of what would you love to think HR people could influence around the types of skills that we can equip everyone with. Uh, we are a thriving, potentially thriving economy, yeah. innovative economy here in Australia. What are we not investing in? I think you're not investing in, uh, or not you, but the, 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 uh, the workforce industry as a whole uh, isn't investing in explorative technology. Um, so actually figuring out what skills people have. Um, we're sort of pigeonholed by uh, a job title, right. uh, you know, you're a CEO, you're an HR manager, but you have skills, everybody has skills outside of what they're hired to do. Uh, and I think organisations, as part of being a lot more agile, which, you know, is, again, a hashtag. You can Buzzword. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you really do need to sort of, you know, see your people for exactly who they are um, and, you know, take the chance and give work to them outside of what their existing job title is. I think that's what's really missing. Um, you know, people of my parents' generation, for instance, they are, you know, hard and fast pigeonholed into a title. You know, I'm an architect or I'm a doctor. Um, it's all well and good, but you, you're probably a whole heap more. Um, and I think realising that about people and taking the punt on them is, uh, is what's missing. And taking a punt on them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the, um, I think it's, it's FYP, Federation of Young People. They've been really clever. Go and Google them, by the way, people. And they've written a report for um, young people coming out of school and into university, and they've um, categorised um, careers in seven sectors. And their, their research is saying out of those seven sectors, 13 skills are transferable between sector. And they give an example of an environmental scientist and, a, and an architect. 
13 of those skills are transferable. But if I was a recruiter, I wouldn't look at an environmental scientist to go to an architect. So they're getting the young people right. The organisations, we're not, we're not connecting to that. So maybe bit. the talent shortage isn't maybe quite what it is. Correct. Yeah? Yeah, what, I would 100% agree. Yeah, uh, keep going with being, it. Being uh, you know, involved in a small company or several small companies, uh, by you know, necessity, you need people to do a broad range of things and you would be blown away by what they were able to do. Um, and who knows, maybe they're bluffing it, but they're, you know, they exhibit skills that you didn't hire them for nor know that they had on their resume. Yeah. Mm. How much does this connect with you, Francesca? I agree. I think um, we hire for redundancy, essentially. So you have like um, <laughs> um, position descriptions that you've had for like a thousand years um, and then you, 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 you give it to your team and you say, you know, let's just adapt it and ask the hiring manager what the, they want for this role. The skill sets are varied for the same role. And then you, the, the person's already redundant when they enter the door. I mean, not using your data to assess the skills. And if you actually had the data from the beginning with your, if you want to use, say, applicant tracking systems, you would have those that data to inform your decisions when it came to talent pipelines, when it even came to redundancies, because you would be able to say, this person has the right skill set, let's redeploy them, as opposed to just s scrapping. That's what the two of you mean by hacking HR, don't you? Absolutely. Like you, yeah. Absolutely. And Meaning you want to disrupt some things that have served us well. Mm. Okay, they've served us well, but that, that's, uh, we suspect they won't serve us well into oh, the future. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And Fran's a classic example. You've all followed us on LinkedIn. The artwork's coming from here. Her organisation probably has no idea how creative she is because it's not. we're not seeing it. We're not collecting the data and we're not using it. So it's what James is saying. It's all this hidden talent. He probably finds it because he's got smaller organisations. Yeah. Bigger ones, we don't find it. So we move it out or they choose to move out because they're not fully working to their strength. Yeah. James? I was going to say, I think, uh, you know, maybe speaking out of school, but I think it's easier not to see. Um, like, if you, you know, you'd open up a Pandora's box about, uh, you know, exploring into people and, uh, you know putting them forward for things in a big organisation. In a small organisation, you have to do it. But um, I think there needs to be a, uh, you know, C-level mindset shift uh, in large organisations to actually, you know, even sandbox it, like do, a, do an experiment, see how it goes and see what effect it has. It's like the, you know, four-day work week. Uh, it's done tremendously well. Yeah. Mm, I like that idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to... Um land one final question to you which has been thematically something that's come up throughout the discussions and it's kind of what is your purpose what what are you here to do and then i'll ask the two of you to kind of sum up the topic as well and because uh, we're in the last minute mm. james your purpose what are you here to do uh specifically tonight in in, in your on, life. on earth on yes. earth right okay let's get let's get let's really get ambitious Gee. and you give me a minute really deep okay who won the bachelor <laughs> <laughs> anyone know no no okay sorry <laughs> look i i think uh you know broad brush speaking without going into too much detail uh it is to improve things um no matter what really i mean you know if you're going to uh, put your time and energy uh into something it should be something that you have a good chance of improving or something that ought to be improved um, so I'll, I'll leave it as, as open-ended as that. 
Thank you. Thank you. Currency, the skills and currency, what's the mes final message from you, Sharon? We're all more than our job role. Yeah, like it. It's as simple as that. More than our job role. We're all, all of us, we're all more than our job role or our um, calling card, business card, whatever you want to call it, yep. your job title. You're more than that. Francesca? I feel like that's a hard one to follow. That was good. Um, <laughs> what was the question? Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we... On that note. <laughs> <laughs> the end. It's been a big day. It's been, this has been 12 months in the making. I feel like my brain is fried. I know. How do you feel? Like my brain is fried. <laughs> <laughs> is this what you thought it was going to be like? Yeah. Remember when we first met? Yeah. At the, um, where was it? The coffee shop. And Little Collins. <laughs> that there was a Docklands? No. No. Little Collins Street. But it was with coffee and I think that's the main key takeaway there. The power of coffee. Yeah. We've solved the world we over. Have. And that's why we're tired right at the end. <laughs> we have no caffeine. <laughs> we have no caffeine. <laughs> Thank you so much to our wonderful panel for these wonderful conversations. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you all so much. <laughs>